0: Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now here's your host, Thomas Irvin.
1: Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Thank you again for joining me. As we begin to close out the book of Haggai, we are moving into the final stretch. Thank you for enduring with me to the end. <laughs> this has certainly drugged out longer than it needed to, uh, mostly because the you know a lot of this took place during our transition from America to Uganda. and um, since we've been here getting things set up and established and trying to make sure things are in order. Uh, the podcast from time to time get put on the back burner. But now the podcast is working more in tune with my schedule. And uh, that was not the original intent, but I am, I've got so much going on right now, it has to be that way. I enjoy doing this, and one of my goals is to preach through the entire Bible. And uh, the current format will facilitate that. Teaching through respective books, here and now, and then as I as I teach soon, you're going to hear Sunday school lessons on the on the podcast that will be both in English and Luganda, and uh, so so there's going to be a variety of podcasts coming out soon that are English only or they are English uh, uh, with a Luganda translator assisting me. So uh, those things are coming up. Uh, I, I will fully understand if some of you don't want to sit through the English and Luganda translation so just look for the more English based podcasts as they come out the English and Luganda will be labeled as English and Luganda so that you can tell the difference but th- this is just the reality of living in in a country where people speak so many different languages uh, it, it just it has to be translated so that uh, the the people to whom you're trying to minister can receive what you're trying to teach and that's where we are here in Uganda we're in the what, what is considered the buganda kingdom the buganda region of the country of Uganda and they speak the luganda language it is a language i'm studying and trying to learn uh even even now in the midst of all that's going on and um but i am not at a level obviously in which i can teach and preach in that language even if i were it's <laughs> The, the number of people here who speak English, as well as the number of people who speak Luganda, as well as the number of people who speak English and another tribal language, there's such an admixture of those people that you really almost are required to have both to effectively minister to the people here. Uh, many of them are going to be able to receive English. Many of them are going to be Luganda only. And then there are a number of other tribal languages throughout the country. Now, in the, primarily in the region that we're in, it's Luganda. Uh, but it, it, it can change. You cross one small border in the country, not outside of Uganda, within Uganda. And you go into an entirely different group, people group uh, who speak an entirely different language who all live in Uganda. So, uh, But praise the Lord that. As nationally, it seems they are moving more and more in the direction of English. Um, the younger generation speaks more and more English, uh, but we're still several gen- generations away from being in a country that is not dependent upon their tribal languages. So bear with me as we try and minister to these people in their language as best we can. Now back to the book of Haggai. Uh, we, we are engaging now into Haggai's fourth message. Haggai preached five messages overall. Uh, it is sometimes taught that he, that he preached four messages. I don't believe that is correct. I believe he taught five messages. Um, each message is dated, and, and each message is separated by the date given. And um, here in this fourth message... Haggai picks up in Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, no. So they knew the answer. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. And this is a common problem in, in all our lives. If someone asks us to give intellectual assent to the truths of the word of God, to the, to the morality laid out in the word of God, we could all do that. Well, then why don't we live that way? <laughs> why don't we live according to, to the, the, the realities laid out in the word of God? Why are we so flippant about those things? And, um, and this is one of the things the Lord is about to, to address. Um, then the Lord says, Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer theirs unclean. And now I pray you consider from this day and upward from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since the day, since those days were when one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. But one came to the press fat for to draw out 50 vessels out of the press. There were but 20. I smote you with blasting and with mildew. Now that's, that's God. That's God who smote his people, with blasting and with mildew, and with hail and all the labors of your hands. Yet you turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth from this day will I bless you. So this message was, out of, out of the five messages that Haggai delivers, this one is delivered to the people directly. The Lord has had much to say to Judah's leadership, but now he is addressing the people themselves. He is, he is not turning to Zerubbabel and Jeshua at this point. He's talking to the people directly. And uh, included in that is the priests, and, and the Lord is concerned about their misdirection. He's concerned about the fact that they know what's right, they know what's wrong, but they're not doing it. This passage, this section, this portion of Scripture, it beautifully highlights separation, biblical separation. And that's essentially going to be our, our topic as we go through this. They fail to separate themselves from the world around them in a godly fashion. And it is important to note the difference between godly separation versus uh, man's personal ideas of separation, and that's where that's where a lot of the trouble with separation comes. You know, I, I believe, I, I assume, and it may be a false assumption. I, I I don't know necessarily how to test it, but I I believe, I believe people will be more would be more inclined to separate themselves if the separation forced upon them was that of a godly manner, of a godly sort. And I believe they'd be less inclined to push back against preachers and against Bible teachers and and, uh, Bible-believing church leadership if that church leadership put out less of their personal opinions of separation and more, more clear, biblically explained patterns of separation I think that'd make a big difference in a lot of people's lives a lot of people are tired of being subject to the opinions to to, to the the theological and and um, you know the, the theological opinions and convictions of individual men and if you could demonstrate to them if you would demonstrate to them what the word of God says about these things I, I believe it'd make a big difference Uh, Now, again, I I don't know how to test that, but when you go back to these people, when you go back to Judah, it's interesting the people in this passage know the answer to the questions. They know the right spiritual answers to give when it comes to separation, but they have failed to perform that which is necessary to attain such separation. And this could not (laughs) speak any more clearly to our day and time. You ask people what God thinks about telling lies. They know the answer. And they'll tell you, well, God God said not to lie. Then you get the, but I have found a way to justify my my telling lies. (laughs) God doesn't want you to lie, but... (laughs) No, there's no but. God said, thou shalt not bear false witness. That's the end of the matter. Uh, You ask people what God says about modesty. Well, most of them don't know what God says about modesty because the men who teach them the Bible have never taught them about godly modesty. What they have taught them is their personal opinion regarding the way a man and a woman should dress. And the Bible is very clear about these things. The Bible is very open about these things. And if we were to take the time and teach what the Bible says about it, I believe more people would be more inclined to give godly modesty a chance. When it comes to music, the Bible is far more liberal on music than most Baptist preachers. Now I tend to uh, I I love old hymns of the faith I I don't I don't listen to much of anything outside of hymn music the way you and I would sing it in a in a Bible believing church but I would not go and suggest that everyone must listen to that music or you're ungodly or you're not separated or or you've done something wrong or you've done something to anger God I I, I would not do that I don't think that is correct I don't think that's right um. The Bible demonstrates a pretty wide variety of music with a pretty wide variety of instruments in music. And so my point is, godly separation helps everyone, but a pharisaical separation based on the opinions of men really doesn't help many people at all. There might be some some times and some areas where it is helpful, but Generally, overall, it, it, you're forcing an ungodly standard on people. And it does much to turn people away. It does much to turn people's stomachs. They're already going to struggle enough with, with God's standard of, of, of modesty and, and standards and, and all these things. Why would we make it worse by, by doubling down and adding to it our own opinions? And these things... These things ought not to be. Now, what Christian could not quote, you know, love not the world, but so few actually love not the world. (laughs) In fact, there has been a concerted effort to merge Christianity and the world together into this confused identity, but confused identities seem to be the order of the day. I mean, what is an identity? Identity. It's it's exactly what, what people are doing with it today. It's just what you what you claim yourself to be. It's just what you make up. It's a it's the fairy tale in your mind being forced on people in the real world. Nobody cares about what you identify as. Who are you? What are you? There are objective standards to that. There are ob- objective measures to that. It's not based on opinion. Very little, little of it is subjective. Uh, the, this confusion exists in the hopes that churches can trick lost people into joining them. You know, we're not even talking about the, the extremes that the world has gone to. The church alone has plunged itself into this level of confusion in the hopes that it can trick people into joining their churches. And, and it's it's ungodly. And as we see here in Haggai, God is not pleased with it. They want to establish the idea there is no real difference between the church and the world, and that the church and the world are so similar, you can come as you are and stay as you are, and no one would ever notice. It, if there's nothing different about you and them, why would they come? What's the point? What's the purpose? If the idea is they are ungodly and can remain ungodly and, and join you in your ungodliness, what, what is the point? Why would they do that? They at that point they've won you over. There's no need for them to there's no need for you to win them over. Look at Haggai chapter two, verses twelve through thirteen. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. And in in this passage, the Lord makes a connection between what we we touch and the uncleanness that follows. We we do not cleanse the unclean by joining the unclean. The, The more you interact with that which is unclean, it defiles you. You do not make uncleanness somehow clean. That's like, Celebrating the Christ Mass in the name of Jesus. That's like celebrating Ishtar for Jesus. Um, we, we, we get so deeply involved in paganism in the name of Jesus. We think that somehow our uh, attaching the name of Jesus to these things makes it acceptable. And that's not the case. That's not the case. When you, when you participate in uncleanness, you become unclean. What you do with those hands and those eyes and those ears matters. One of my favorite preachers uh, from way back in the day, Lester Roloff, he would often say, the way you pull a man out of a ditch is to keep your wheels on the concrete. You don't drive in the ditch with him. You don't jump in the ditch in the hopes that the two of you together can come out of the ditch in which that person is stuck. No, you stay up on level, solid ground. And from there, you you help to assist people out of the ditch they have fallen into. The purpose of separation is to mark a blessed difference between you who belong to God and those who belong to the world. There should be a striking difference. There should be very little crossover or resemblance. And today the church has decided to broaden and widen that that crossover and that resemblance to make it the norm rather than a striking difference. You're supposed to be a peculiar people. When we fail to make this distinction, we fail to provide a visible contrast between righteousness and unrighteousness. Why would you pretend to be unrighteous in order to lure unrighteous people over to the side of righteousness? That makes no sense whatsoever. Separation fails to exist if that which is holy is touching that which is unholy. Now, we're not talking about your interaction and your relationships with people. All that is necessary. We, we get that. But why do you never fellowship with God's people? Why do you never spend time with God's people? Why is it that your life resembles more of a a reprobate in the world than it does God's people? Why do you have a hard time getting along in church, but you feel just fine at the movie theater or at the football game or at the bar or the nightclub? There's a big problem there. Look at Haggai chapter 2, verse 14. In the seventh month and the one and twentieth day of the month came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying... Um, you know, this, this is the heart of the issue when it comes to separation, large groups of God's people have decided the issue is their ability to appeal to the, to the unholy and unrighteous lost souls. They don't care about what God says. They care about what that person thinks. They don't care what the word of God is saying. They care how they might appear to to the lost world. They fail to show any concern in terms of separation, how the matter is viewed by God. So they press on trying to appeal to the world by acting like the world in the hopes that they will win the world. But win them to what exactly? What, what, What is it you're trying to bring them into or over to if you're out there acting like them, living like them, there is little to no difference between you and them, then what is it exactly that, they, that, that you're trying to, to encourage them to join? As far as they can tell, you have joined them. They don't, they don't really need to join you. So if you've already gone their direction, they won, but somehow you have in your mind that the competition is still up for grabs and, and it's not. Once you have moved into their world, what, what is there to come back from, to come out of, to repent of? And then other of our brethren move too far in the other direction. Some Christians are more conservative than God himself. You may not have known that was possible, but it is. When it comes to standards, they do not consult the Word of God. Instead, every standard they implement is a knee-jerk reaction to some new trend the world follows. They're so hard against the world that they would implement a a legal system that goes beyond what God requires in his word. It's wrong to move in a liberal direction and, and to remove standards and to act like the world. It's also wrong to try to be more conservative than God. It's wrong to implement this legal, this legal system that, in which you demand people act the way you want them to act, not the way God outlined in His Word. We're trying to be Bible-believing Christians, which means we do things in accord with the Bible regardless of how the world acts. This requires a high level, again, I've mentioned it on this podcast many times other, uh, other, for, for other purposes, but it requires a high level of intellectual honesty. If the world is doing something right, just be honest about it and leave it alone. If they're doing something wrong, then call them out and do something about it. But where, where, where the world is doing something or, or just happens to have something correct, we don't need to take it to some extreme to, just, to, just to create division there. The idea is not to be divisive for the sake of being divisive so that we can prove that we're not like them. The idea is to be divisive in accord with the Word of God, and, and the Word of God will naturally do that for you. It'll naturally do that for you where it is necessary. Don't make it that way where it is not necessary. We don't want to be unnecessarily problematic. Uh, Christians just simply allow the word of God to dictate our standards of separation. We don't join the world and we don't react wildly to the world's rapid and perverse changes. The same is true with regard to sin. Don't allow yourself to believe you are getting away with sin. David was certain he got away with his rendezvous with Bathsheba. But then he was formed that what he did displeased the Lord. Man, what, a, what crushing words those must have been. Uh, be sure your sin will find you out. Be certain all things are naked and open before him with whom we have to do. Uh, that'd be a good approach to life. If you just went into life with that understanding, then you'd have a hard time uh, getting yourself into to a terrible situation. The book of Haggai provides us an example of the progression of blessing that comes by way of our gradual obedience to to the Lord. And separation is an aspect of obedience. If you're obedient to the word of God, it will naturally separate you from the world. If you're disobedient to the word of God, you're going to look a lot like the world and less like um, the people of God. So despite this lack of separation in chapter 2, the Lord was with them and the Lord has blessed them with promises for for their future. But these blessings and promises progressed as they gave themselves over more and more to obedience in rebuilding the temple. So we've got a shift in the narrative here. The Lord rebukes them in chapter 1. They repent in chapter 1. The Lord promises, I am with you. Let's get this work done. By chapter two, the work is hard and strenuous, and and uh, the people are being attacked. You know, uh, there's just a lot of pressure on them. So the Lord encourages them with future promises of blessing. He's going to fill the temple with glory. The desire of all nations is going to come. Uh, they get all these wonderful promises, but then all of a sudden, the Lord turns to the people and says, "Okay, now that we've, I appreciate your your repentance and and." you're turning to me in the areas where you're doing well but there are areas we need to address areas where you are not doing well and we can't let those slide for the for the sake of you know peace or or um, or for the sake of holiness and righteousness we have to deal with these things and so the lord comes back and he and he addresses them look at haggai look at haggai chapter 2 verses 12 through 15 if one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment And with a skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat? Shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, And that which they offer there is unclean. And now, I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. So we learn in Haggai, the Lord is against His people, and and, and this is in in chapter 1, we learn the Lord is against His people, and He is against their indifference to the work of God. They were comfortable in this world, and they had set God aside. The Lord rebukes them. He demonstrates that many of the difficulties in their lives were the result of God judging their disobedience. Now, when they repented, the Lord immediately responds, I am with you. This is demonstrative of the Lord's promise, turn to me and I will turn to you. Then chapter 2 opens with great promises regarding their future. Then the Lord turns to rebuke them again. Judah had taken great steps in the right direction, but there was still work to be done regarding their biblical moral character. This is unbelievably true of me and you every day of our life until we go to glory and and we're given that new body. Um, You should just assume this this is how things are in your life. And as such, you should be grateful and you should double down in the areas that you have right. You should also be looking for those areas where you have things wrong and fixing them. All of us, that's that's the order of the day. Judah had taken great steps in the right direction, but there was still work to be done. I am amazed by God's grace and his patience. He responded positively to the acts of obedience they had already taken, but he did not forget the areas that still needed work. Furthermore, he did not rebuke them immediately for their lack of separation. But he waited patiently, praising the areas of obedience. And when the time was right, he dealt with other areas of disobedience. What a way to deal with people. See, what we do is, is we find out somebody has one area of their life wrong, and we immediately write them off, kick them out, you know, throw them by the side. We don't want anything else to do with them. What God does is he says, well, over here you're doing great. But over here, we need to work on this. And, and so so God can deal with you and your life in this way in which he, is, uh, he expresses his pleasure with the things you're doing right, but, but he also will turn to you and correct the things you're not doing right. All at the same time, what a wonderful God. <laughs> what a wonderful way to deal with people. What if what if instead of destroying all of our relationships, the moment somebody did something we didn't like, what if we stepped back, looked at the bigger picture, and said, you know, there are lots of areas of their life where they're doing well. And, and, and our relationship has been great, but they messed up here. So we're, we're going to deal with what they've done wrong, but we're not going to forget about all the things that they've done right over numerous years. How many times have you heard that brought up in in uh, relational problems. How many times have your children or your subordinates of of some sort uh, said to you, you never say anything about the things I do right, but you immediately bash me for the things I do wrong. And there's something to be said about that. That's, that's a very important idea for us to consider when those, when we don't think through those things, it's destructive to our relationships. People need to be encouraged in the areas that they're doing things right. Those things need to be remembered. They need to be highlighted. We can't forget about them. But they also might need to be dealt with in the areas where they're doing things wrong. And we've got to find a way to be able to do both at the same time so that the the relationships are preserved and the person is helped and not hindered. And by the way, someday... Someday, they're going to be coming after you. (laughs) Someday, you're going to do something wrong, and you're going to want people to be mindful of the things you've done right, as well as address the things you've done wrong. You're going to want that same grace and that same mercy. And so, the the Lord addresses their lack of separation, and he he addresses it quite firmly in Ezra and Nehemiah, and there, there are two scenarios that will serve as great examples of what the Lord is speaking of when he's talking about these people living in a way that is unclean. Look at Ezra 9, and we'll read verses 1 through 9. Uh, it's a, a bit of a lengthy portion, but it's it's worth reading. You know, So the Lord is rebuking them for a lack of separation. And uh, Ezra, Ezra 9, and, and we're going to look at a problem that came up also in Nehemiah. That, that serves to illustrate some of the things that were going on. You know, The Lord is not 100% clear uh, in Haggai exactly what he's rebuking them for, but he gives, he gives them some illustrations, and then we, get to, we, we start reading through Ezra and Nehemiah, and we find out there are all sorts of separation problems. So look at Ezra 9, verses 1 through 9. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel... And the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and their and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing I rent my garment and my mantle, and plucked off the hair of my head and and of my beard, and sat down astonied. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away, and I sat astonied until the evening sacrifice, and at the evening sacrifice, I arose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God, and said, O oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to Thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespasses grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day." And for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, and to spoil, and to confusion of face, as it is this day. And now for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape, and to give us a nail in his holy place, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage, for we were bondmen. Yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolation thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. Now look at Ezra's response to this. What if we responded to to sin in that way, to a lack of separation in that that way? Now, Ezra is responding to godly separation. This wasn't just something that the the Baptist leaders of the day made up. This was godly separation. God said that God's people were not to marry uh, these Gentile powers or these Gentile peoples, and they did. And, And it went all the way to the top. And... No matter who's doing it, no matter who has consented to it, if it's against God's word, it angers God and and it's going to be dealt with. And so the Lord had to step in and and deal with the matter. And uh, Ezra fell to his knees and asked God for forgiveness for something that he had not done, (laughs) that he had no part in. And uh, that's the kind of man he was. That's the kind of people we need to be. Uh, Now we're going to read. Nehemiah chapter eight, and and uh, to get the full brunt of the message and the idea, we're going to read the whole the whole chapter, I believe. But uh, we're going to read Nehemiah eight verses one through thirty one, and uh, and I know that's a lot of Bible to read, but it's worth it. It's good for you, you know. It, if you haven't read this passage, or if it's been a long time since you've read this passage, it'll serve to stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance. It'll be good for you. It's good for me. It's good to read it and be reminded of it, and and I know it's a lot to read and. And I don't have the prettiest voice to, to sit and listen and read, but, um, but it's worth it. It'll, it'll be worth your time. So Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 31. On that day, they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them. That he should curse them, howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass, when they heard the law, that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. And before this, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah, and he had prepared for him a great chamber." Where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense and the vessels and the ties of the corn, the new wine and the oil which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. So these people had moved out the, the offerings giving to God's people, given by God's people to make room for this man who didn't even belong there. That is unbelievably characteristic of our day. We're making space for a bunch of ungodly people, ungodly ideas, ungodly lifestyles. And, and we'll, we'll just kind of kindly move God's requests and God's commandments and God's people. We'll just kind of shove them out of the way and make space for these other people because we want to you know, be nice to them and bring them in. But let's see what Nehemiah thought about that. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem, for in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king. And after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. Now, do, do you get that? To make this type of leeway for ungodly people to freely live and express themselves and be comfortable in the house of God, according to Nehemiah, it was evil. And it grieved me sore. Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded and they cleansed the chambers. And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled, every one to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is this house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil and unto the treasurers over the treasuries. Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and of the Levites, Pedeiah, and next to them was Hanan, the son of Zechor, the son of um, Mataniah, for they were counted faithful, and their office was to distribute unto their brethren. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God. And for the offices thereof in those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses and, on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves, and lading asses, as also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, and I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish, and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that you do? And profane the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet you bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut, and charged that they should not be opened till till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants sat at the gates, that there should no burden be brought on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From, From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of Thy mercy. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Ammon and of Moab, and their children were uh, and their children spake half the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of the people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. And made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon king of Israel sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin." Shall we then hearken unto you and do all this great evil to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Joida, the son of Elishib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood, and of the Levites, thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business, for the good offering, at times appointed, and for the firstfruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. That's a lot. And, and no, I want you to notice, the, it was not legalistic for him to respond harshly to the sin being committed i think we I think we're a little confused about what it means to be legalistic to be legalistic means to apply uh you know to when, when the lord said of the of the Pharisees that that they you know force heavy burdens on men but they wouldn't lift it with one finger that's legalism and then when they're so zealous about their legalism and And uh, they would respond the way Nehemiah did about their own personal standards and convictions that couldn't be found in the Bible if you search 20 years. Something that God, somebody disobeys something God actually said. Well, you know, we can kind of let that slide. That's okay. And Nehemiah had it right. Nehemiah straightened the people out, even if he had to do it forcefully. Now, I'm not suggesting you do this in your church, (laughs) Why don't you try doing it in your own life? What if you and I responded to the sin in our own life the way Nehemiah responded in Judah's day? What a blessing that would be. Our separation today is not defined by flesh, but rather by biblical truth. There is a course to this world. That course is against God, and we are not to follow it. Antithetical to the course of this world is the word of God, which clearly directs the steps of a Christian. Judah in Haggai's day was moving in the right direction in their obedience to rebuild the temple, but they still had much internal work to do. Likewise, as we deal with our Christian brethren, we need to praise the, the areas of obedience we clearly see. But let's not be slack to graciously address the areas where we all need to continue to improve. Uh, the means given us to correct these areas Where we lack separation is instruction from God's word. Look at Luke 19, verse 47. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. I mean, imagine that. Now, we we need this daily dose of God's word. It's very important. Uh, But this is God himself standing in the temple and teaching and, and they seek to destroy him. They know better than God, their standards are better than god their, their than God's their convictions are better than god's their uh you know that they'll steer this ship they just need God to step out of the way and here you have God standing in the temple daily teaching, and they can't have that. Um, we need the daily dose of God's word. we also need to make sure that we are applying what God's Word says to our lives and um, having feasted on this diet daily, we need to make sure. It's implemented. That, that's essential. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together, and all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them all to all men, As every man had need, and they continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we need this constant fellowship with God's people. You know, nobody is saying you got to go sell your stuff and and hang out at a temple daily. That's, That's not the point. You need to be close to God's people. There needs to be a good, strong relationship with God's people. And, and that continuous fellowship with God's people will encourage you, or you may, be, you may serve to encourage others. Look at Acts 17, verse 17. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Uh, there was service daily. There was teaching daily. And they fellowshiped daily. How are you doing in that area? Do you serve God daily? Do you you get a dose of the word of God daily? Are you lacking fellowship with God's people on a regular basis? We need to get these things straight. And so the Lord uses two questions to illustrate these realities to Judah. Look back at Haggai chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment and whether a skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Um, uncleanness is easily passed on. Holiness is so difficult to pass on. We, we don't need any more inclusiveness. We, th- th- that It is abundant. There is plenty of inclusiveness. It's, it's gone overboard. We need biblical separation. Like, I mean, imagine the, the, the two ideas are so contrary to each other. God's demanding biblical separation, and God's people are demanding inclusiveness. <laughs> the two can't go hand in hand. And, and that which is holy did not make that which is unclean Holy. The the holy was made unclean. You can't toy with uncleanness and expect to remain holy. Our willingness to follow the course of this world does not somehow change the world's course. It changes ours. And the world's course is against God. So where do you think it's going to take you? Where do you think it's going to lead you? Look at Haggai 2.14. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. The Lord is not, is not concerned with the size of our buildings or the number of our membership. He is concerned with lives that are holy. Notice the work of their hands was to build the temple, the temple that God told them to build. But this lack of proper separation caused even the good works of their hands to be unclean. God did not instruct them to tear down the temple. He told them to stop being unclean and the Lord would further bless them. This admixture of uncleanness and holiness exists in our lives. We have areas of obedience where the Lord is pleased and we have areas of disobedience that the Lord expects us to get right. The question is, will you take the time to identify them and get them right? Will I take the time to identify them and get them right? May the Lord help us. Thank you for listening. God bless. We
0: hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.pleniusredemption.com. You can hear more Plinius Redemption podcast audio at www.pleniusredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.